Welcome back to Crazy Faith Talk. I'm Sarah. I'm Erica. And I'm Steve. And so, friends, we are uh, in the midst of a series that we're calling Christianity 202. Uh, This is a sequel to a series we did a while back, Christianity 101. And so far, we have been kind of delving deeper into what it means to be Christian, what it means to follow the Christian faith. And so we have talked about scripture and how to read it. And we spent last week talking about the mission of the church, um, what that looks like and what it, um, the different brands and styles of missions um, that churches tend to hold. So um, Steve, where are we taking things <laughs> this week? Well, to kind of spin out of our conversation last time, one of the things that we named was that uh, among other parts of the church's mission is doing things like Jesus describes in places like Matthew 25, feeding the hungry and clothing naked and uh, visiting the sick and the prisoner and welcoming the foreigner, that kind of thing. And it got us thinking like, okay, yeah, a lot of people would put somewhere in their definition of Christianity, Christians are supposed to, they think, do good deeds. And that sounds sort of like generically true. Yeah, that sounds right. Christians are supposed to do good in the world, uh, certainly as opposed to doing evil, I would hope. Uh, but like, how does that all work out? What, why do we do it? Why? What's the, the purpose of doing good? And uh, where are there different ways that our different traditions approach this conversation? Because like, honestly, some traditions have real hangups about how we think about this. I know it because I come from one. <laughs> I actually am Lutheran because of previous hangups. Like, okay. so, so backtracking, I didn't grow up in the church, but I lived like a block away from my Southern Baptist grandparents growing up. And so they would frequently take me to church and I was very enthusiastic about it and they loved that. So they took me a lot. And in the Southern Baptist tradition, you do good works because you are a child of God because you have asked Jesus to live in your heart. And so you do good things like be honest to your parents, respect and honor your parents and grandparents, doing the dishes, picking up your toys, you you know, all of those like little kid things because I was a little kid. And if you did bad things like smoking, drinking, having sex, then that meant you were doing bad things and you lost your salvation and you'd have to ask Jesus into your heart again. And if you weren't doing good things, um, like if you were like not being honest and honoring your parents, not doing the dishes, things like that, again, that was backsliding and you'd have to ask God and Jesus again back into your heart. And if you had any doubt about whether or not you were saved, you had to ask Jesus again back into your heart because that meant probably meant that Jesus wasn't there anymore if you doubted. And so these were a lot of big hangups that a uh, very small Sarah had. And so when my parents joined the church and it was the Lutheran church and they didn't have those hangups, turns out they had their own set of hangups, but like <laughs> I was much more on board with those than yeah. that constant if I did bad things, that meant I was going to hell and I would have to beg God again, to enter my, enter and live into my heart, like, you know, pre being Lutheran, I was asking Jesus into my heart all the time because, you know, I would say a lie, like, oh yeah, I'm done with my math homework, mom, can I go outside and play? 
I would have to ask God again to go back into my heart and probably also finish those math problems. <laughs> so those were the set of hangups that I had as a kid that ultimately led me to becoming Lutheran. Okay. And that led you, you, you said, to sort of a whole different set of hangups. So in the tradition that you and I now claim as Lutherans, we have a whole different way of getting uh, ourselves all worked up about whether or not we should or shouldn't do good deeds. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about that particular set of hangups? Sure. So that set of hangups is we tend to not do good deeds because we know that God has already saved us and we don't want people to think that we're doing good deeds to be saved. <laughs> so like this is like one of those cases of like there's an inner logic to why we're neurotic this way, but it shouldn't it shouldn't make sense. Right. And, and I, like, right. It's, like so. So historically, uh, Martin Luther arrives on the scene as a voice saying good news you aren't saved because you've done enough to make God love you. It's a free gift of grace. Hooray, hooray, hooray. And a full hearing of Luther is you're saved by grace apart from what you've done, apart from anything you do. Hooray. Now we're free to love our neighbor. We can quit worrying about, am I racking up enough brownie points or gold stars? And I'm actually free to care for my neighbor and not just use them as a means of racking up merit badges, but actually to love my neighbor. But yeah, it's um yeah, it's definitely we've been saved. Hooray. Now the response that we should have to like be thankful is to go out and to do good deeds because turns out, hey, doing good deeds is good. Um <laughs> we should go out and do them. We, you know, we should be feeding people, we should be being nice to people, we should be honest when our parents ask us, have you finished your math homework? No, mom, I'm not good at math. I didn't finish my math homework. I don't know what the answer is. You know, that's being honest. That's doing a good deed because then, hey, maybe your mom can help you with that math homework as one very specific thing. <laughs> good. If there's a nine-year-old girl listening right now to our podcast wanting to know if she should finish her math homework or lie about it, that's good because I know some nine-year-old girls who sometimes have trouble <laughs> with finishing their math homework. I'm just, I'm just saying Okay, so we've named the Lutheran allergy to all this, which is weird because both both Sarah and I, part of this Lutheran tradition, still are very solidly on the side of it is good to do good things for other people and to do them without getting recognition, without seeking credit or fame or whatever. And yet we also both come from a tradition that has that kind of anxiety about, let's be absolutely clear that doing x or y or z good thing doesn't win us any points with god because there are no points um but it's just a different way of phrasing things help us out erica it seems like you come from a tradition that can approach this conversation without having to go through nearly so many mental gymnastics <laughs> and maybe because my denomination came out came around a little bit later than yours okay um luther already worked all that out for wesley <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> so thank you. Um, because Wesley talks a lot about the means of grace. And there's there's two different types of means of grace. There's the there's the means of, the works of piety, which are like the the individual disciplines that we do, like scripture reading, um, scripture reading and prayer and fasting those kind of things. And then there are the works of mercy, which include things like feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, visiting the imprisoned. All sounds like Matthew 25. Um, 
which are things that Wesley did himself and he required of his class and band leaders to be doing, you know, like Wesley had, you had, Wesley was always part of the Anglican church, never broke away from the Anglican church. And so everybody went to church of England on Sunday morning and then they'd go to societies during the week. And then on top of the societies, they would go to classes and bands and the leaders of those were required to check in on their members on a weekly basis. And so sometimes that included, you know, feeding the hungry. They were sent out to go and do these things as part of their piety, as part of their general practice as Christians. Mm -hmm. So for someone like now, most of my people probably couldn't. If I said, hey, what are the works of mercy? People would be like, um, what? Because <laughs> yeah. unfortunately, a lot of you know, and and I was I was that way too when I was a lay person. You know, I wouldn't have known what that meant or you know a way to describe that. But that is part of the lifeblood of who we are as Methodists is doing those things, especially the imprisoned, because um, that was a huge part of Wesley's um, Wesley's personal ministry when he was in in London and in England. But that was the time frame also that he was working in. Um, there was his father was in debtor's prison quite a bit and so i think that's kind of where he got that visiting prison aspect that really hit home to him because yeah he went to go see dad in prison i'm sure a lot mm -hmm. and it certainly changes the conversation when you picture prison isn't simply full of like violent criminals who are yes. likely to be violent more but like you're in debt and the punishment for being in debt is you have to go in prison until the debt gets paid off. Like, yeah, that, that feels that like that's, sense, but... yeah. Yeah. <laughs> One of the questions I want to toss out to both of you wise people that you are um, and in some ways it feels like this is a, a carryover from, one of the guardrails we put up are the potential dragon sightings we named last time in our conversation about mission and also feels to me like maybe the Lutheran allergy might be relevant here too. Um, I can remember reading once upon a time, a, a piece by Friedrich Nietzsche, who one of his criticisms of Christianity was that it seems like Christianity needs to cast itself as savior and that we need to put other people in the role of being recipients of our pity and our, to be the objects of our good work in order for us to have meaning or value. And that, like, in some ways, that's a pretty damning criticism. Like, is my reason for helping other people that I see myself as the savior of the world or we see ourselves as we have to have people to receive our charity and something about that feels like ooh, that that does feel like there are, are dragons or yellow flags or something like that um how do we avoid uh a sense of we are called to do good for other people without letting that slide into a savior complex kind of like you were pointing at in our last episode erica in the dangers of mission mm -hmm. when we treat mission as we're the ones with all the answers. We have to go to those poor slobs over there. Like we can do that on a big scale, the macro scale across an ocean and call it international missions, or it can be, you know, um, uh, at, at the local level, you know, if, if I see salvation as, uh, or I see my, my Christian life as I'm like a, a, a Jesus themed boy scout and I need to get my merit badge. So I need to help an old lady across the street to get my community service merit badge. I don't actually love the old lady for her sake. I just need someone to be there who I can help across the street mm -hmm. so I can get my merit badge. Like how do we avoid that in whatever tradition we come from? Does my question make sense? Yes. Yeah. There, there is a hymn that I'm frantically trying to look up the lyrics to um 
<gasps> is it will you let me be your servant? Uh, maybe I, I looked up the wrong one. I looked up what a friend we have in Jesus and it's wrong. Oh. Um, but it's the one where um, it, it's it's basically it, it's like one of like there's a verse about how you are serving others and um, you're serving. But then like you're also asking, will you let me be Jesus for you and will you be Jesus for me or something? Yeah, like that. you're thinking of there's a hymn in our hymnal, will you let me be your servant? And the opening verse, yeah. which is also the last verse, goes, will you let me be your servant? Let me be as Christ to you. Pray that I may have the grace to let you be my servant, too. Yes, that's the hymn I'm thinking of. Um, I just... I was looking up words that had friend and Jesus and you and me and I wrong one, but yes, the one you're talking about, that's the one I'm thinking of. It's, it's, it's the, um, because it is, it's really hard to let somebody be Jesus for you to serve you, to mm -hmm. help you. Like that's really hard. Um, because we have this thing called pride and yeah. we don't like to need, um, to need to take charity. Yeah. Um, and it's not always charity, but like, um, so I am doing a re-listen because um of the little house books on uh audio. Book, okay. Um, because my library has them. And there is this like thread throughout this whole series of novels of um pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and being self-sufficient and not really needing that community. Like um, the, the, the TV show was like almost completely different because it was a lot about like, oh yes, we work together when we need help, we help each other out. But like, that's not super into the, the books. Cause it's a lot more of, yes, we help each other, but it has to be reciprocal. Um, we'll exchange work, but we're exchanging work. It's not, you're helping me to drill a well. If we're drilling a well on my yard, land then tomorrow we're going to go drill a well in your land it's not mm -hmm. one-sided mm -hmm. um and that is i think a thread throughout american culture of we don't like to ask for help let alone receive help mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it, it seems instructive to me then that like Jesus takes the time with his disciples to make sure they understand that they are both recipients of being served as well as serving. That part of what makes that scene of Jesus washing the disciples' feet so uncomfortable for Peter is, you have to let me wash your feet, Peter. Um, and then the call to them, you're supposed to do this for one another and not limited then to literal foot washing, but the idea is this mutual in, in, in both directions kind of thing. Um, but that has, I, I guess, to me, that seems an important way of reframing our conversation about doing good also means making the space for others to use their gifts as well. And that mm -hmm. maybe then our way of thinking about doing good deeds is going to be closer to way uh, the, the prophets, like I think of Micah 6 uh, and the in the end, it's about doing justice and that, that there's a sort of a sometimes I'm going to be the one who needs help and sometimes you're going to be the one who needs help. And that there's that sense of whatever the neighbor around me has a need for, how can I be attentive to that rather than I'm here to get my merit badge and I need to do good, whether it's to earn God's love or show I'm saved or whatever. Like it's not it's not about me or my it's not even about me and my personal holiness. And like that's one of my the other dangers, too, is like if I'm doing good needs because it'll make me it'll help my personal holiness. Well, that's true. But then like, I'm, it's not really even about love for the other person. You're just a prop for me to practice piety on. And even there, that feels a little bit like there be dragons there. 
Um, I, I, and I, I don't want this to be overly simplistic, but it seems like this, this really does come back to love and that love of neighbor is about asking for, it's about listening first, that it's Mm -hmm. what, what is it that my neighbor needs? What's the situation my neighbor is in and how can I accompany them with where they're at rather than I see you as a, a potential recipient of my charity. So I will give you the thing I think I'm supposed to give you. No, I need to listen. What is it that you need? Or maybe what is it that you have to offer? And how can I, maybe what you need right now is to be able to give something. And it's my job to be the one who receives in this moment. That listening aspect, Steve, I think is so important because we do tend to, and we talked about this with our last episode in missiology, you know, going and doing what we think others need you know going and building them a well or building them a school you know doing those things that because we have that in our culture in our society we feel other people need that yeah um where yeah sometimes it you know you see somebody and they're cold so you give them a coat because you know they're cold and so that's it seems simple but they might need more than just a coat sure you know they they need the warmth of the coat so that they're not cold, but they need the warmth of friendship too, you know, because maybe they don't have that. And, you know, so it's not just warming their body, but taking care of their soul in the process. Or for that matter too, like sometimes with the, the intention of, we want to expand the other people have our standard of living, but that we don't realize how much that's also exporting the costs that come with that too. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, it would be, I could understand someone with good intentions saying, uh, I need to go to somebody uh, in some um, underdeveloped nation and I, I've got such convenience with my smartphone, I need to give them smartphones. So like, well, number one, smartphone without a cell network isn't useful, but also there's a lot of baggage that comes with having these stupid rectangles of a technology. Um, or it, it's like the, the, sometimes we export these other things we think are so good and maybe it's no we we're we're exporting what we want people to have rather than what they actually need there's a a passage from um uh douglas adams hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy that comes to mind where he talks about uh dolphins as being more intelligent than humans um and he says that um humans uh, used to think that we were the most intelligent because we had invented things like cities and nuclear war and digital watches. And the dolphins thought that they were more intelligent for exactly the same reasons. They had not invented cities and nuclear war and digital watches. Like sometimes the things that we think make us so special and great and awesome, maybe other people can actually live without and would be happier without rather than I decide what you need for you. Maybe it would be helpful to ask this. We, we've all kind of named there's different ways to get hung up on good works and um, ways that we can get it wrong or allergies we can have about it or, or whatever. Are there helpful guides for how to simply get out of the way of all those mental gymnastics? Are there helpful ways we can land and say, here's, here's, here's a, a decent start for how to, how to be a presence of good in the world rather than a presence of rottenness in the world? Like for each of you, who've got your theology worked out and no good reasons to do good works. And none, neither of you are worried about um, losing your salvation. If you don't do enough or works righteousness, if you have done too many, like, okay, it's not our worry. When you start your day and you think about how can I do good in the world? How, how do you recognize what good needs to be done that each of you can do in the world with your day? So for me, it's often starting with, 
the reminder that I'm not the only person in the world. Like I'm not the only person with feelings and with a physical body that needs to be taken care of. Um, because like, since we can't experience other people's realities and emotions and their own physical hurts, I think so often we forget that when we lash out, it's at another person who is affected by our anger or whatever we're lashing out with. Um, and that this has been true in the last couple of years as I've experienced parenthood to remember that my children are fully actual human beings and that they have emotions and that I can be triggered just like that, like, you know, with them not listening and blow my top and yell at them. And I have to remember that, no, they're, they're acting their age. They are acting like a four-year-old or a five-year-old or whatever. And that this is perfectly normal for them to not want to go to the dentist or go to school or whatever it is. And that, you know, I need to try to have more patience with them because they are actual people with wants and needs and desires. Um, and likewise, when I am interacting with somebody who might not want to accept help if I'm able to give it, to remember to give them the dignity of treating them like a person and not just as uh, somebody who I can help and get brownie points or whatever. Um, and to also recognize that when I need help, I should be able to ask for it um, and that others are looking for ways that they can help me maybe. Um, but just to kind of remember that everybody that I'm interacting with, they're actual people with thoughts and feelings and emotions and experiences outside of my own experiences and that all of them are beloved by God. And so that's kind of where I start with is just that reminder of I am dealing with other humans, other people. What helps you, Erica, as you face ordinary life seeking to do good? How do you decide where where to spend your energy? Um, so I'm in a, a small group. I call it my covenant group. It's kind of like the bands and societies of Wesley's days or bands and classes, I should say. Um, and, and we have goals that we go over every week. And one of those is to start our day off by asking the Holy Spirit to engage us. And I fully admit that I am not very good at this one. Um, but in recent weeks, I'm trying to get better again. And so I start my day just praying that my heart, my mind, my eyes, my ears would be open to the needs of those around me. Um, you know, I don't have little humans in my house. I don't have a spouse. Um and some days, at least for parts of my day, I'm the only one in the office. Um, but I try when when I do encounter people to listen to them and, and not just listen to, you know, let them vent or, you know, but like, listen, truly listen and, and hear what's going on behind what they're sharing so that if I can help in some way, shape or form, either by a spoken word or physical action. 
um, that I'm attentive to that. Um, and so it, it depends. And then some days, you know, I start off kind of knowing what those things will be because I know who I'm going to be interacting with later that day because I have a meeting with somebody or I have, you know, a, our food bank is happening or we're serving a, a meal at our uh, community kitchen. Those days are easy. Other days, it's just trying to be attentive to the promptings of the Holy Spirit and respond to them when they happen. It seems to me like um, that sense of attentiveness, whether it is with literal listening or with just having your eyes open or the intention of the, the even the, the, that question that you framed Erica about asking the spirit to engage us. And I assume part of that is like, help me to recognize the things I should be paying attention to mm -hmm. in the world. Like that, that's, that's such an important key. Uh, it, it makes me think of the story we call the good Samaritan that Jesus tells in prompting to a response about what am I supposed to do? What good deeds am I supposed to do? Mm -hmm. Right. And, you know, in the end that hangs on, well, okay, love your neighbor is the heart of this. And uh, the neighbors, the, the, the question comes up, okay, who counts as my neighbor? And the, the, the Samaritan in the story is able to read the situation. He sees somebody who is in need and responds. And I think one of the things that gets me about that story is that the two people who walk by the side of the road, the priest and the Levite, religious professionals like us, um, have got to be convinced that what they're doing by going on their way to their priestly duties is quote unquote doing good as well. And it's just mm -hmm. not as important good as helping this person in the side of the road or that. And like, I it's, it's the, the clarity the Samaritan has the third person has this foreigner outsider has of the thing I can do for this person is to help them and passing them by to go pray at a liturgy is not is not as helpful as what this neighbor needs in this moment um and to me part of that where that that story hits is is where both of you have landed about the importance of listening to where people are at rather than assuming i know what good deed somebody else needs done but actually listening or paying attention at mm -hmm. least i've been teaching a class to some lady on our district recently and my particular class is teaching them how to teach bible studies and prepare bible studies and I shared with him a couple of weeks ago about, you know, like we were talking about engaging with your students, engaging with the class that you're teaching and, and recognizing when people are in need. And so I created a person named Susie for our class. And I said, you know, you're teaching, you're going along and all of a sudden like Sue, you see Susie starting getting teary eyed and, and crying. And so what do you do? And you know, yes, your lesson is important. You've put a lot of work into this, but clearly Susie needs something else right now. Mm -hmm. And so you need to tend to Susie. And I'm able to share that with them because I have been Susie. Mm -hmm. I, I shared with them an experience in seminary where I, I broke down in the class. And my professor in the class attended to me and prayed for me in that moment because my professor realized my lesson's no longer important right now. Mm-hmm. Erica needs me. She needs us. And he had a room full of future pastors and professors and missionaries who got to see practical ministry happen before their very eyes. And so that that is my goal in, in my everyday life is to be attentive to those kind of things. Um, and when they happen, hopefully to respond in the right way. Because sometimes I do tend to, like Sarah, you said with, with your kids, I tend to brush it off. Mm. 
you know, or like, I don't have time for this. Let's move on. Like, I got to No, I need to be attentive to those kind of situations. And whether it's emotional help or physical health or spiritual, whatever it is, trying to be attentive to that need in that moment, rather than just brushing it off and saying, oh, I'll take care of that later. I'll talk to them later. I'll do whatever later. So hopefully we figured out at least a couple of ways to avoid getting hung up by our various traditions, hang up about <laughs> good and to get out of the way of ourselves. Maybe that's it. It's how do we get out of the way of ourselves simply to do good without the the worry or fear of, am I doing enough or what's anybody mm-hmm. else thinking, but simply to see the person uh, in front of us and to see what, what need, what's needful in this moment. Am I to give, am I to receive, am I just to walk with somebody um, and that allows us to be a presence for good rather than a presence of rottenness in the world. That seems like a decent place to land. Other conversations are in store, though, so join us next time here on Crazy Faith Time. See y'all. Bye. 